Well, Gainesville was going through, a, you know, a very similar kind of transition or transformation or whatever you wanted to call it, as was the rest of the country. I mean, the Vietnam War was happening. It was starting to wind down by that point, but um, there were, um, oh my God, there were two or three years in a row where there were demonstrations against the war that took place that really polarized the community and the, and the campus, the college campus, a great deal. I remember um, one of the demonstrations in which uh, a number of uh, students from SDS, the Students for a Democratic Society, had taken over Tiger Hall and were occupying the building. And, and there were just, I mean, there were thousands of people all amassed around Tiger Hall. And the Florida Highway Patrol had actually gone out. I don't know, I think they had purchased these little miniature tanks that were sort of like the size of a Jeep, but they had a turret on top and they could, they could shoot tear gas into the crowds. So, so we were tear gassed more than once um, during those times. So it was kind of like an avant-garde time and a, and a time of some turmoil, but also um, a lot of progressive thinking around the arts. The 1960s and the 1970s were a time of immense social change in the United States. The Civil Rights Movement, the Feminist Movement, and the Vietnam War protests challenged the status quo. While these movements are often thought of in the context of larger cities such as New York and Chicago, smaller towns in America also became hotbeds of activism, and that was certainly true of Gainesville. The activism and social upheaval of the 1960s and the 1970s isn't so different from our current moment with protests against police brutality, structural anti-blackness, the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes, or the insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. The anti-war protest Bruce Cornwell, a founding member of the Hippodrome Theater, is referring to started on May 2, 1972, and continued over three days. According to the Gainesville Sun, some 2,000 protesters massed on West University Avenue, facing off against hundreds of Gainesville police, Florida Highway Patrol officers, and other area law enforcement personnel. The protests made national news, and this wouldn't be the only moment in the 1970s that the national spotlight would shine on Gainesville. Around this time, a group of UF students began creating a new kind of theater. The six artists, Bruce Cornwell, Gregory Von Hausch, Mary Hausch, Carrie McKinney, Marilyn Wall, and Orrin Wexberg wanted to bring a new kind of theater to Gainesville, one that was more contemporary, experimental, and political. This is The Hip Six, a podcast about the early days of the Hippodrome Theater in Gainesville, Florida. I'm your host, Ryan George a graduate of UF School of Theater and Dance, currently living in New York City. My journey with the hip began back in 2010 when I was cast in Defiance during my last semester at school. Through my experience with the Hippodrome, I've gone from cast member to company member to also a director. Let me also introduce my podcast colleague, Lauren Burrell-Cox. Lauren's a film PhD candidate at UF. The podcast project started when Lauren began collecting the Hippodrome's oral histories. In this episode, we'll tell you about the Hippodrome's roots as an avant-garde and experimental theater that engage in activism and social commentary through their performances, with the help of Hippodrome founder, Carrie Oliver-Smith. Act 4. Activism and Avant-Garde Theater with Carrie Oliver-Smith. Let's get this show on the road.
This project started in the summer of 2020. I was supposed to be an archival intern with the Hippodrome, but the pandemic forced the internship to change. Like it made everything change. In-person theater was at a standstill, so I wanted to find a way for the Hippodrome to reach an audience, despite the forced isolation of the pandemic. That's how I started talking to the Hippodrome founders. Not only was the pandemic the backdrop of 2020, but the summer of 2020 became a summer of activism against police brutality and anti-blackness. Working on this project for the Hippodrome and being immersed in the local and national history of the 1970s made me think about how that time was not all that different from the current era. The 1970s saw protests against the Vietnam War, segregation, and for women's rights. The civil rights movement became mainstream in the 1960s. Sure, we had the added component of a pandemic to deal with, but people were still just as motivated to protest against injustice. Gainesville contrasted with the more conservative areas surrounding it in the 1960s due to the local activist movements focused on desegregation and anti-war efforts. The student group, a student civil rights group at UF at the time, organized sit-ins, marches, and boycotts throughout Gainesville, especially at the College Inn Cafeteria and the Florida Theater, two racially segregated institutions that would not integrate until the late 1960s. In 1969, the Fifth Judicial Circuit Court of Florida ordered all county boards to either desegregate schools or close. This ruling forced the closure of Lincoln High School in Gainesville, the Black High School which had been a premier public institution since 1923. According to scholar Catherine Palmer, LHS was a source of power and civic pride within Gainesville's racially segregated African-American community. Its closure meant that Lincoln students must attend the white Gainesville High School. Lincoln students protested and boycotted this decision. According to the Gainesville Sun, the black community was so upset that attendance at Lincoln, which had 1,274 students enrolled, plummeted to a mere 88 students, as students boycotted. On January 31, 1970, during the protests, two teachers were hospitalized. There were 91 broken windows in the surrounding area, and Gainesville police made 17 arrests. In response, Alachua County closed all schools in the district for four days. However, by the end of the year, Lincoln High School was closed. Protests against segregation continued at UF in the 1970s. According to the Gainesville Sun, in April 1971, students held a sit-in at the UF president Stephen C. O'Connell's office to discuss university policies considered unfriendly to black students. During the sit-in, more than 70 people were arrested, and approximately 2,000 students later marched on O'Connell's house, which led to more arrests. Later that month, about one-third of UF's black students withdrew from the university in protest. The Hippodrome Theater began against the backdrop of these social justice movements. The founders wanted to bring a different kind of theater to Gainesville, and they also wanted to comment on the world around them through their art. They also wanted to push the boundaries of theater at the time and create experimental shows. The intertwining of the political and the experimental really fascinated me. I'm a film PhD candidate at UF studying documentary and experimental film. Of course, studying how experimental art creates social commentary fascinates me. When I first met Carrie, she told me about her love for experimental theater and film, and she's also the only member I got to interview in person, social distancing style. Because of the constraints of maintaining social distance, this interview will sound a little different. 
but I think that difference also serves as a historical document of the time it was recorded. In the face of the pandemic, people still found ways to safely connect with each other. So in this episode, I'm going to tell you about the hip's experimental and political roots with the help of Carrie Oliver-Smith. Carrie began her journey with the Hippodrome in 1973 after being recruited to join by way of Orrin Wexberg, who was partners with Gregory von Hausch and Mary Hausch, working on the idea of a contemporary theater in Gainesville. But Carrie hadn't always seen herself working in the theater world. I came to the theater on my way to work in film. After Washington, D.C. and the University of Michigan, and a very enriching six months in Europe, I decided I would devote my work to film. But I needed funds. The plan was to finish college, get a job, and go to California. By then, I had become a Florida resident due to my parents retiring in the state. Then I was able to take a job and take advantage of the low fees of the University of Florida. Regrettably, the University of Florida did not have a film department. I had to choose between English literature and theater history. I chose theater. I had just come back from London when I was swept away by this extraordinary and exhilarating theater I found. I saw several excellent plays written by such playwrights, such as Harold Pinter and David Story. It was an exciting time. How was I to know that in a short time, I would be directing The Caretaker, written by Harold Pinter? And Carrie directed that show at the newly founded Hippodrome. Carrie held a variety of positions at the hip. There was not a strict hierarchy among the founders. Everyone had an equal voice, and everyone had something to give, and everyone helped out. I was first inspired by seeing all those wonderful plays in London. That really changed everything. I started to follow really great playwrights, and the Hippodrome gave me the possibility to learn them, find them, and use them. So that was a real, you know, great beginning. I really did love to act, but I liked to direct even more. It seems like a more holistic thing. And each thing I really love to do, I'd love to, to work with actors. I'm really uh, in love with the what the stage looked like and how space was working and how sounds work. There's so much to do and I, I loved being a, changing the lights and doing all that kind of thing. Um, so the visual part was real important to me. You know, I, I don't think there's anything else that when I see a really great um, show and everybody's clapping at the end, I always get teary. because I'm so moved by what I see. Carrie was a co-director of The Hip from 1973 to 1985. She was an equity actor and performed in 23 main stage productions. 
For those who don't know, an equity actor means that you belong to the Actors' Equity Association, the labor union that represents theater actors. She was a literary manager, which is someone who works with playwrights and agents in facilitating scripts for productions. She worked in stage and lighting design, built sets, and wrote grants. But her favorite role was as a director, and she directed 25 main stage productions at the hip. Through her work at the Hippodrome, Carrie was interested in producing shows that made political statements and pushed the boundaries of theater. You know, in the 70s, I was really interested in poetic and political plays. And so the Hippodrome was emerging right in the middle of a, sort of a real radical and exciting cultural change. And it was a, a change that just energized um, the theaters. So you may be wondering what exactly is experimental theater? Carrie told me that experimental theater emerged as part of the avant-garde in the turn of the 19th century and was in response to a perceived cultural crisis. Playwrights and directors rejected the bourgeois and traditional way of producing plays. In the 1970s, directors and actors again were abandoning traditional theater. Directors and actors saw that theater was not just for entertainment, but also a place for social and political communication. They rejected stereotypes, hierarchy, and the consumer life of the middle class and values. They abandoned traditional techniques. Carrie told me that. Experimental theater introduced us to really different ways of thinking with a real sort of emphasis on language, but very much about the body and the relationship between the actor and the audience. These techniques range from things like actors connecting directly with the audience, in other words, breaking the fourth wall, improvisation, performing in non-traditional spaces like streets, and no costumes or props. But sometimes experimental theater took things further still, such as doing more spontaneous performances, which meant actors didn't necessarily rehearse. And this heightened the naturalism of the performances. Actors sometimes even incorporated the audience into their performances. But this kind of rule-breaking wasn't for everyone. But those people uh, were very much used to, to, to traditional theater and they really weren't ready. But they soon warmed up. The hip wasn't only interested in producing experimental plays, but political ones as well. Experimental actors and directors were part of a real cultural and political revolution. And, you know, America had its hands and blood across the globe, Vietnam. It seemed like the war would never stop. They were facing events such as the Maylight Massacre, the Tet Offensive, the death of Martin Luther King, and the Kennedys. Most directors and actors opposed the war. They would have been against racial and social injustice, homophobia, sexism, military, and the industrial complex. They were also really eager to raise the consciousness of the generation. One of the earliest examples of politically engaged theater work came when the hip put on the persecution and assassination of Jean-Paul Marat, 
also called Marat Saad. In 1974, the Hippodrome Theater staged a play in the context of our current events in the United States. It touched our desire and struggle for civil rights, for the anti-war movement, and about nationality. It was about power. The play is a play within a play. It takes place in a mental asylum after the French Revolution and the rise of Napoleon. The Marquis de Sade was imprisoned there from 1801 to 1812. During his imprisonment, he created a play to recreate the murder of Jean-Paul Marat, a radical journalist who supported the revolution and the rights of the poor and dispossessed. He is portrayed as a martyr for the revolution. In the play, the Marquis de Sade exposes the suffering of the poor and presents the need to change society. The Hippodrome took this play out of 19th century France and transported it to 20th century America as a way to comment on the political events of the time. Marat Saad wasn't the only classical play the Hippodrome infused new political life into. They also did it with the Greek comedy Lysistrata by Aristophanes. I really enjoyed all types of theaters. Um, there was theater of the absurd, um, experimental theater, comedy, political theater, and the classics. And it's really amazing what we did with the classics. The hip produced Lysistrata in May of 1975. In a review of the production in the Independent Florida Alligator, the University of Florida student newspaper, from May 16, 1975, Sharon Alford describes her experience attending a dress rehearsal for the show. It ran under the title, Ladies Boycott Sex to Stop War. Here's an excerpt from the article. In the small, dark, cavernous storefront turned theater, the dress rehearsal for the Hippodrome's Lysistrata is about to begin. Actors dash around the stage clothed in flimsy togas and negligees. Off in a corner, the choreographer limbers up with her dancers. Nearby, a three-piece combo runs through several catchy, familiar tunes. In the double-deck bleacher seats, a deeply tanned, nude young woman talks quietly with an associate. She is in costume. Later, when posing for publicity shots, she insists on no pictures of my front or face. I'm anonymous. Lysistrata was written by the Greek dramatist Aristophanes. The plot centers around the lead character, Lysistrata, or Lys in the updated musical version, and her plan to stop a civil war. Enlisting the aid of the women from the two warring cities, Lys, played by Krista Mitchell, asks them to withhold sex from their men who are home on leave. Hausch says he chose Lysistrata because it's a fun show with a little bit to say. The hip wasn't afraid to stage controversial shows that pushed the boundaries of what was acceptable in the community and also commented on society. Lysistrata exposes sexual relations in a male-dominated society, and many of these same issues were relevant in the 1970s and still today. In fact, Gainesville is forever tied to the women's movement of the 1960s and 70s. The phrase the personal is political, a popular rallying cry among feminists that demonstrated the ways that the private and the public sphere were intertwined, had one of its earliest usages in Gainesville. 
Carol Hanisch, a member of the New York Radical Women and a prominent figure in the women's liberation movement, drafted an article defending the political importance of consciousness-raising groups in February of 1969 in Gainesville, Florida. Gainesville once again entered the national spotlight in 1972 with the trial of the Gainesville Eight. According to the UF archives and the finding aid written by Rihanna Martin, the Gainesville Eight were involved with the activist association Vietnam Veterans Against the War. The VVAW is a nonprofit veterans organization founded in 1967 to oppose the Vietnam War. The Gainesville Eight were based out of Gainesville, Florida, with Scott Camel as its Southeast Regional Head. The eight members, John Briggs, Scott Camel, Alton Foss, John Niffen, Peter Mahoney, Stanley Michelson, William Patterson, and Donald Perdue were arrested for advocating violent disruption to the 1972 Republican National Convention held in Miami, Florida. Prosecution evidence was produced from paid VVAW infiltrators that the eight had planned to protest the convention to raise awareness of the war in Vietnam. Sources suggest that even though the eight were charged for organizing a violent demonstration, they had actually worked with Miami police and other activist groups in order to maintain amity at the convention. The trial, held at the U.S. courthouse in Gainesville, began on August 2, 1973, and ended on August 31st with all eight protesters acquitted of all charges. The Gainesville Eight were arrested on charges of violent protest and plotting. However, numerous events suggest the eight were targeted for their strong will to uncover the truth of the government's actions. The trial itself produced little verifiable evidence to suggest the eight's protests would be a violent demonstration. Much of the prosecution's evidence during the trial came from paid informants working within the VVAW. The Eight's defense based their argument on the grounds that the group had a right to freedom of speech, that there was little evidence against them, and that the government's charges were covers to divert attention away from the recently erupted Watergate scandal. Carrie told me about the memorial that one of the Gainesville Eight creates every year. Every year he creates a memorial for the city. He makes these small tombstones representing every soldier that died in American wars. And it's stunning to see. That is like, it's still with us. The sadness is still with us. Um, but this was such a connection to what's going on outside and what was happening at the Hippodrome what was going on there is a play that also dealt with that. So in 1977, we presented this very extraordinary and powerful uh, play called The Streamers. It was by David Gray. Streamers refers to um, parachutes that fall and fail. This play takes place in the military bar barracks and there were five men there waiting for the time that they had to go out and be shipped out to Vietnam. There was a lot of friendship that deteriorated and it then went for violence. 
and even then for death. It was intense and really moving. The actors uh, that we had were sensational. So it was a really moving thing, again, reminding us of Vietnam. In working on this project, I've seen streamers come up a lot. It's a play that became a signature production at the Hippodrome. They staged the show not long after the war ended, and it seems like it served as a moment of reflection and maybe even healing for the community. And it did this in a way that only art can do. In the 1980s, Carrie began to take her artistic talents beyond Gainesville. She served as assistant to the director and casting director for the film A Flash of Green by Victor Nunez, which many of the Hippodrome founders worked on. She was also assistant to director Michael Bogdanov for the play Spanish Tragedy at the National Theater in London. She was awarded a research grant from the Ford Foundation to research contemporary Spanish language plays and bring them to the United States. One of the plays she discovered, Kathy y el Hippopotamo, by Mario Vargas Llosa, she also translated with her husband, Tony Oliver Smith. Carrie later became a curator at the Harn Museum of Art in Gainesville, Florida. The decade of the 70s brought a revolution in the theater. Actors and directors were challenging the ideas of hierarchy, stereotypes, and strict tradition. They saw the theater not just for entertainment, but also as a place for social and political discourse. While this wave of political and experimental theater started in bigger cities, they were no longer the indisputable center of American theater. The experimental, political, and poetic wave emerged all over the country and in Gainesville through the Hippodrome. Although the founding of the Hippodrome was nearly 50 years ago, we're still dealing with many of the same issues today in our collective fight for justice and equality. One thing will always remain the same. We'll look to art to help us make sense of the world. Funding for this podcast was provided through a grant from the Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Florida Humanities or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Additional support from the Hippodrome and the University of Florida Center for the Humanities and the Public Sphere. It is hosted by Ryan George. It was produced by Gabrielle Byam, Lauren Burrell-Cox, and Amanda Frazier. It was written and edited by Lauren Burrell-Cox. Ash Phoenix Designs, Joshua Osborne, and Dina Tor designed the cover art. Special thanks to the Hippodrome founders whose voices made this project possible. Thank you for supporting the arts.